So now, Cleophas Prince Jr. emerged from a troubled background and turbulent early life. He is a product of poverty, neglect, and violence. With a knife and a general disregard for human life, he invaded the sanctity of his victims' homes. He typically would cut communication cords like phone lines and then brutally attack them, leaving a trail of devastation with his victims mutilated and their lives tragically cut short. His victims were primarily women living alone, and they became pawns of his macabre game of dominance. Their lives cruelly snuffed out in a relentless spree of violence. The gruesome trail left behind in his wake has forever etched his name into infamy. I will say that because there are two Claremont killers, so we'll just be calling him Cleef. <laughs> he got his name etched into infamy twice by accident. <laughs> yeah. Cleefus, the Claremont killer of California. Come on, it writes itself. But yeah. welcome back to another episode of Bros and Murder. Bye, guys, chat. Where we covered true comics of color. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah. stands for bisexual. When it's me and you, I just keep reiterating. <laughs> Gang shit. <laughs> and in this episode, we are covering Cleophas Prince Jr., known as one of the Claremont Killers. The other one has no relation to him, they just share a name. He is an American serial killer convicted and sentenced to death in 1993 for rape and murder of at least six women in San Diego, California. This is another Gold Star episode, so brace yourself. But first, like and subscribe wherever you're viewing or listening this to. And check out our social media for extra content. And my OnlyFans for pictures of my feet. Extra. <laughs> <laughs> so Robert, uh, kick it off. So... Claremont Killer struck fear into the hearts of San Diego residents during his reign of terror in the early 1990s. His preferred victims were predominantly white women, which made him a unique killer. Um, when the FBI was reviewing this case, that is something that they highlight, is that he is a killer that crosses racial uh, barriers, which we don't typically see. Serial killers typically hunt people that look like them. This is often largely attributed to proximity because so much of the United States is segregated that serial killers usually hunt in areas that they are familiar with. So he preferred victims who were predominantly white women who lived alone, also the elderly. So armed with a knife, he would break into their homes at night, often targeting those who lived near each, uh, often targeting people he lived near to. He often would follow people home from health clubs. So people would go to the gym and then walk back to their apartment and the he could be in the gym at the public place and then see you go directly to where you lived. He'd use that to kind of case where someone lived, if they lived alone. So it could happen over the course of days. Later on, we'll find that there was actually testimony from people who were being cased by Cleefness. Um, and for whatever reason, he never tried to break in, but they did call the police. And those testimonies were later used in court. After he would break into victims' homes, uh, he would do so by cutting phone lines or picking locks, but once inside, he'd overpower them, stabbing, and in some cases sexually assaulting them. His signature was a savage frenzy of violence that left victims brutally mutilated. Over several months, he killed over six women that we know of. So as I mentioned, you know, we have evidence that he was casing more than just 
his victims. And if there were, you know, other sexual assaults, other break-ins, we might not be aware. He specifically targeted people who were leaving gyms and health clubs because um, he could hear them get in the shower if he was in an apartment building. And he would know that they would be distracted or indisposed because, um, you know, picking a lock can actually be pretty loud, especially if you're inside the home. Aren't so, you, don't you have a lock picking kit yourself? Yeah. Okay. It's actually like a cool, normal hobby. Oh, I'm but not judging you. No, I think it's cool. I will say if you like get into lock picking, there's like a bunch of like rules and shit you got to get used to. Like you can't carry them with you. Like even really? just depending on your state, having lock picks on you is uh, evidence of the willingness to commit a crime and one they can be seized from you and you can get arrested oh shit or find like so keep that shit in mind also never pick a lock that you don't own because like it's a fun little puzzle until you're committing a crime and then you deserve whatever you got coming to <laughs> fair all right so i'm gonna go i have the actual list of his victims pulled up because i'm a dumb bitch and i confused the two claremont killers and their victims during my 3 a.m research session <laughs> <laughs> so i'll go through the list of his victims that we again know of so first was tiffany page who died on january 12 1990 age 20 she had lived in an apartment complex adjacent from the buena vista gardens now her boyfriend was initially arrested for the murders but really was released three days later so that victim was jenny mary she died february 16 1990 at the age of 21 she also lived in an apartment building adjacent to the Buena Vista Gardens. So it was like he had an area that he was stalking. Prince was tied to her murder through DNA testing. Her parents donated money to purchase a playground equipment in that area in her memory. After that was Holly Suzanne. She died April 3rd, 1990 at the age of 18. She was visiting her brother and staying in the, again, Buena Vista Gardens apartments. Her slaying led police to believe that a serial killer was stabbing women. A ring belonging to Tara was given to Prince to his girlfriend in December 1990. After that, another victim was Elise Nomi. She died May 21st, 1990 at the age of 38. She lived in East San Diego apartment complex where Prince moved in May 1990. A gold nugget ring belonging to her was traced to Prince. Her mother and daughter did not suspect him at all didn't even know who he was after that it was pamela gall clark she died september 13th 1990 at the age of 42. she lived in university city district and two of prince's roommates testified that he had been in possession of her wedding ring the last victim that we know of was 18 year old amber clark who also lived in university city with her mother at the time the bodies were discovered Elise had not yet been identified as a victim of the same killer. The San Diego police characterized the case as the largest manhunt in the forces history. So his MO obviously is he'll stalk you, break into your house, stab you, and then take some sort of memento that he <laughs> sometimes would pass off to like a girlfriend or friends or just keep around his house. Yeah, it's a very typical serial killer thing to do. A story that he used to wear the engagement ring of one of his victims of just on a chain around his neck. Um, and he totally copped to the double murder of Pamela and Amber Clark um, to his roommates. He was just like, yeah, I killed these two women. It, so for, for a little bit of background too, because we didn't have a lot of background information on him because there just weren't a lot of news articles about him. Like we were talking about it earlier, Robert, he just mainly popped up on like fucking Buzzfeed lists and yeah. shit like that. So he did a short stint in the Navy where he got discharged, but it didn't say why he got discharged. It didn't seem like he had any sort of 
weird behavior that anyone noted. The only thing that we do know is that he grew up in a very poor area and was neglected by his mother and father and had a bunch of siblings. We don't know much else about the dude. Even in the movie that I watched about him, which you can see on IMBD, you can tell there were a lot of like filling in the blanks <laughs> mm-hmm. and just a scriptwriter trying to make a good story happen. Well, and so we talked a lot about how like in movies and news articles and stuff, they always show you the background of like where this person came from and like what made them. And there's always that part of my brain that says like, yeah, but how many people come to this from those exact same scenarios and don't, do, and yeah. don't, don't become a serial killer? And I don't think it's because necessarily people are trying to, like, explain away the actions. I think it's because they're trying to, like, desperately understand something must have happened. A person couldn't just randomly become a serial killer. And I I don't know. I think the, like, need for an answer or something leads us to try to, like, blame environment too often. Because how many people grew up same fucking spot as Prince and didn't, didn't kill? How many people? Six people? Seven, maybe? That we know of. Right. And now, a message from our sponsors. So, I mean, so after, and again, when it comes to like the area where he was surveying, after he was discharged and court-martialed out of the Navy for theft, like petty crimes and stuff like that, he moved to the Buena Vista area. So, like, the area where he was stalking and killing these women was the same area where he was, like, living in. So, part of it has to do with proximity, but mainly because, like, he had a good enough job and money where he can live in a nice area where all these people were at so before his uh murders he was mainly known for being like a petty thief so uh, that's a common thing with serial killers too right where like they start out yeah. small and then like it builds up yeah that escalation yeah so that there could have possibly been a seventh victim but prince was actually apprehended february 1991 following an attempted break-in as a residence in the neighboring area so like his motive shows after trailing a woman from a health club Prince targeted her home while she was preparing to shower. Upon hearing the noise at her front door, she fled the house and sought help from a neighbor who confronted Prince. Initially, Prince tried to tell a story about that he was looking for a female friend who had entered the woman's home. Doesn't make any fucking sense. You don't know her. Why would she know your friend? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got a time for Better pick the lock. <laughs> yeah, better, better, better break in. However, he eventually fled, giving up his ruse. A couple of witnesses actually recorded his license plate and I positively identified him to the police later. So, on February 4th, 1991, Prince was arrested in the parking lot of a health club thanks to the vigilance of the employees there. So, he got caught basically Mm red-handed. Well, also, I love that last person who was almost a victim heard something at their front door and instead of like how many of us would have reacted like oh i'll go open the door and see what's going on they're Beat just like feet. nope weird and she went out the back window and love that for her. her apartment and didn't sprint off alone into the darkness she's like nope i know my neighbor i'm going to my neighbor's house and locking their door and we're calling the police yeah she said fuck that scooby-doo shit i'm leaving that, <laughs> that level of self-preservation is perfect but it's like me because my dumb ass would have been like hello yeah, who's there literally. If I heard something happening at my door, I'd be like, oh, I better look through the people and hope I don't get, like, a shot through it. So We, 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 lo- we love a, a preservation queen. <laughs> we love a preservation queen. Uh, when Prince was picked up in hunting grounds by police, he was immediately held in suspicion of the other crimes. You know, we had testimony of description, car, all these things. So Prince then agreed to DNA testing, blood, and saliva, which at the time was, like, a 
pretty new developing science, so it's not as strange that he agreed to those, because he didn't really know what that was. Uh, and that DNA testing linked Prince to Janine Marie Weinfeld's killing, so they had a positive connection to at least one of the murders. And while the FBI was reviewing the case, they determined that the killing was most likely conducted by one person. Because, you know, we had that clear pattern of yeah. his modus operandi, and they said, no, this is definitely one person. So those two pieces of evidence paired with several eyewitness testimonies that ID Prince casing apartments, following women, and hanging out around health clubs of the victims, all was enough to convince a jury to confine him guilty of the murders and sentence uh, the judge sentenced him to death. He was sentenced to death, but he said he would attempt all appeals available. The murders caused a period in the area of extreme fear in the city. So when he did his first appeal, the first thing he said was, I should have had a trial in a different city. You know, you had a trial in the city and technically I victimized the whole city. You know, it was, you know, kind of like when we talk about uh, hate crimes, you know, yeah. it's not a victim just to one victim, it's everyone in the community that you are terrorizing and intimidating. Yeah. So his strategy, I think, or his lawyer strategy, more likely, is you couldn't have gotten a jury that didn't know that this was happening. They've all seen the news already. You should have moved this to another city. And I actually agree with him. I don't think yeah. his case was a mistrial. I don't think he should be retried. You know, he copped to the double murder to his roommates. He was found breaking into homes. He was clearly the, the, guilty. Yeah, the evidence was on him. But... You know, when we're building out that case from the prosecution side, you should have realized that, you know, jury, that's not jury tampering, but that's going to be called into question later down the road. Yeah, that's not like, like some shady jury selection. You wanted to be the one to, like, catch him or whatever, but we also want to make the case as, like, airtight as possible to keep him in prison forever. Because yeah. this is a legitimate appeal that went out. Uh, it was struck down by the courts. He was not granted this appeal. Um, but it's still but, it's still it's still a legitimate claim. Yeah. Yeah. Move it to one major city down, and then you can get a, a full jury of people who have no idea what's going on and are still going to convict him. It's, it's kind of reminds me. It's a, it's stupid as shit. But it happened recently. Uh, this TikTok true crime star who got exposed. For, you saw that, right? Yes. yes. Cause like, <sighs> look at this, how this investigation was so like almost airtight. It's reminded me of how this dude was trying to like manufacture a whole serial killer investigation on TikTok, and I was like, "Bitch, anything for clicks, I guess." <laughs> well, and it sucks because like I I saw some of those initial videos, and I'm like, "Oh, whoa, this is really interesting." And then like it kind of like fell off my like for you page, my radar, and then I saw that article come up, and like, damn, he got me too. I was like, "Oh, he got us in that." <laughs> I, so I was I don't have TikTok, but I was following his shit. They got reposted on like Instagram and Facebook, mm -hmm. and I was invested. And then I started yeah. seeing the ads too, and I was like, "Wait, talking about this app a lot." <laughs> and then it got exposed. Yeah. Can't trust TikTok. No. Can't trust any social media influence. Oh, yeah. So now we, we kind of touched on this a little bit when we were talking, too. But how do you think his uh, early life experiences, being, growing up in, like, poverty and abusive background and, like, a neglectful background relates to his criminal actions? I would like to imagine, you know, if we got every child who was being abused out of that home, they would live a better, stronger, more healthy life. We don't know that. And I don't want to like perpetuate a stereotype that like, you know, abused people are going to become serial killers. Like there is like a common like cycle of like hurt people hurt people. And not always the case. Uh, not always the case. And you know, I want to have more hope in humanity. Mm -hmm. Like it makes, maybe it's harder to grasp, but like the idea of like you will have just like outlier people who you know are born with like you know brain chemistry that's gonna down the line if it's 
activated by some abuse produces a certain feeling. Like that's a scary thing to like consider, but I like that world more than living in fear of everyone who has a history of abuse. Of trauma, yeah. But I, I definitely think that uh, there's like a psychological, like a nature versus nurture aspect to it. Like I think he definitely yeah. had that in him to do like these certain fucked up things. I definitely think the history of abuse kind of maybe played a factor into that, but yeah. not everyone's gonna. I got daddy issues. I'm not murdering people. <laughs> Straight I was in the military. I'm not murdering people. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that's another like thread we've seen a couple times of people who seek out the military because they want to be in that either like position of power or that opportunity to kill. But it's also a traumatic environment, like a tra- traumatic experience physically, like emotionally. Especially like in like the, especially before the new millennia, when the rules uh-huh. were a lot more lax then you can get away with a lot of shit like nowadays it's very like by the books like we, there's mm-hmm. a million different ways for you to report any type of incidents up and you'll get hurt immediately like it's a lot more strict now which is good because before it was like a free-for-all in the military like you can really do whatever you want <laughs> yeah so that that is kind of like an additional level of environment of we see people coming from backgrounds of abuse and every once in a while we see people coming from military also committing these acts but again not everyone from the background, not everyone from the military, obviously. I guarantee you have, you know, tons of veterans in your life that obviously aren't serial. Yeah, they're just chilled normal people who hate their job. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, Cleefus Prince Jr. is a chilling reminder of the darkness that can lurk in anybody with, <laughs> really anybody. It's just the human psyche. His crimes devastated the lives of his victims and their families and left, uh, huge mark on a community terrorized in today's episode and i really hope that you enjoyed us shooting the shit (laughs) and talking about a famous serial killer the right claremont killer not the other one the other one's a white dude different kind of show not this show sorry (laughs) (laughs) but uh stick around for the music uh if you fuck with us give us a you know give us a review give us a like give us a subscribe the engagement helps uh check us out on youtube we post videos on there check out the instagram for extra content and we'll see you around kiss from the homies (laughs) the bat stands for bye
Fall 